Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode number 81. And this week we are talking to Christina Roman, and she is uh, another life coach, and she does amazing work on time management and helping you focus. Focus, people. This is what we need to do. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. All righty. Hello, my amazing friends and neighbors. As you are sitting here in our isolation, we are recording this in, I guess, on a St. Patrick's Day. So happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, And... We have just, you know, like everybody's just gone through the weekend where we are um, adjusting to the new reality of our kids at home and understanding what that means for our businesses and for our lives. And I know that for most of you who listen, you work outside the house, but um, the people who you serve don't. <laughs> and the people who you serve now have um, children at home unexpectedly. They have um, parents that they're worried about. And so I am super excited to bring you Christina Roman from Peak Coaching. She's a fellow life coach. Um, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. But I think that this topic is incredibly timely as we are on um, now. My hope is coming through the most acute phase of coronavirus and and really reassessing and looking at ourselves and our businesses and our lives as we are moving forward. So welcome to the podcast, Christina. I'm so excited that you are here. And let us like just start telling us about yourself and we'll get it going. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that we connected through the Life Coach School. So I am Christina Roman, as you said, peak coaching, and over there, I serve my clients one-on-one on on all things productivity and focus. So most of my clients will come to me, they have a procrastination problem that they're trying to solve for, and that shows up in a lot of different ways and for a lot of different reasons. I'm actually, this is the first time I've talked about this on a podcast. I'm working on a procrastination framework, which I'm so excited about, to really help people diagnose what kind of procrastinator they are. So it'll look at, well, what are your deepest desires? What are your biggest fears? Why do you actually procrastinate? Because we have to understand that, as you know, as a fellow life coach, in order to understand how to solve for the procrastination that you're experiencing. So the method that I use in terms of solving ultimately for procrastination is my deep work method. And so I've combined a lot of practices from really interesting experts on focus, like Cal Newport and Nir Ayal and Brooke Castillo of the Life Coach School, really pulling together all of their research and data on focus and productivity and making it into an easy to implement step-by-step process that my clients and anyone who wants to download the guide for free can use on a daily basis to actually do focused, uninterrupted work. So that was a lot, (laughs) Um, but it is such an interesting area for me to work on with my clients and they see so much traction and they start to see their lives completely shift just by addressing the issue of procrastination. 
That's really quite fascinating because there's so much, you know, it's so funny in the food world, there's so much that we have to do. Like we have to take times and temperatures when we take them. Like it's like written into the code of federal regulation, Mm -hmm. but then there is so much that we're supposed to do that we like push off because like we're no, oh no, 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 I got to go do this. So could you talk a little bit um, about where does, like where does procrastination come from? You know, in a work environment where there's things we're supposed to do and we find ourselves not doing them. Mm-hmm. So I'm still working out the full framework and full disclosure, but the pattern that I see is that people procrastinate either to get a feeling or to avoid a feeling. So to get a feeling often looks like you want to get pleasure. You want to get entertainment. You want to get um, a feeling of validation or love. That's why a lot of people end up using social media. And then you also want to avoid a feeling. So for my clients, that'll look like they want to avoid boredom. They want to avoid insecurity. They want to avoid restlessness. And so that's where procrastination happens. As you know, again, as a fellow life coach, and I'm sure you talk about this on your podcast with with your listeners, is this idea that thoughts are creating feelings and feelings create actions. So if you think of procrastination as an action, that's always fueled by a feeling. So in order to stop procrastinating, you have to understand, well, what is the feeling that I'm trying to avoid or what is the feeling that I'm trying to attain through procrastination? That's so interesting. And so then what, like, let's just, now that we kind of have that framework out there that, that it really is yeah. all about the feelings and it yep. is in fact all about the feelings. Uh-huh. <laughs> Talk about that a lot here on the podcast. <laughs> what led you to this idea of doing deep work? Like, how did you get here? You know, it's been, I always say it's been such a winding road. So career wise, my whole career to life coaching was a winding road. And then even from deciding to be a life coach, I joke that every single time I get more and more and more specific and narrowed in, in the work that I'm doing, a little trap door opens and I have an opportunity to go even deeper and more narrow, which is so fascinating. So I, I joke last year, I was a life coach. And this year I'm a certified life coach and productivity consultant. I'm like, what am I going to be next year? Right? So focused in. And the way that I focus my work is exclusively by what are my clients presenting to me? And the thing that I see over and over and over again, that is preventing people from living the personal and professional lives that they want to live is procrastination. And so that's how I've gotten so narrow on procrastination. That's so super amazing. And so what skill set has helped you become so successful in coaching on procrastination? Whew. Well, first of all, that's an assumption that I'm successful, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so listening, really, really, truly listening and starting to see patterns. I think my brain has always been wired to see patterns. And so when I can pull together all these different thoughts that I hear my clients say, and I can start understanding that all of those thoughts are creating different feelings for them. So I can see, well, what thought is normally tied to what feeling? And then where does that then dovetail into procrastination? So listening for sure is, is one of those skill sets. Um, I think also, I don't know that this is a skill set, but I'm willing to practice what I preach. I have to practice what I preach. 
And that for me comes from my desire to live in the value of integrity that I feel like I cannot be teaching these concepts to my clients without practicing them myself. And with the acknowledgement that I am not perfect by any means, right? I make mistakes on my time management all the time. And we were just talking off the mics about this idea of right now in the midst of coronavirus, I have never in my entire life been so focused on the news. So when I say to my clients, hey, there are things you can't control and there are things you can control. Let's focus on what you can control in this chaotic time. I also tell them, and I'm doing that alongside you. So I'm both an expert and a practitioner of, of all these practices that I'm teaching. Right. No. And that's, I think, really super important because when, you know, like a lot of my clients, they are in management or in the executive suite or whatever. And so what if like a lot of them say, you know, hey, Dr. Fain and Steele, so-and-so didn't do their work, you know, and we find this. We find that like, I, this is the first thing that I ever ask anybody is um, when they come to me and they want to make food is like, well, what do you make? Um, and we have a very specific process for that. And it's called specifications because you have to be really specific. What are your ingredients? <laughs> what does the nutrition label look like? What is, what are the allergens? What are your, like all the things that like go into the food and things like that? Mm -hmm. And getting people to write specifications is like pulling teeth. Uh -huh. It's truly like pulling teeth. And so what happens is, is I tell my client, you have to write specifications, mm -hmm. right? And then they turn around and they tell their employee and say, you have to write specifications. And guess what never happens? Specifications. <laughs> <laughs> so walk me through how one of, like, one of my clients can solve that problem. Um, sure. So I think the first thing that comes to mind is that it's an issue of expectation. So when a client comes to you and you tell them they need to do specifications and then they go to one of their employees and tell them to do the specifications, I always look to, like to look at what is the manager communicating to their people? So for example, let, I'll use another counter example, which I think will tie back in. I was just talking to a few managers whose teams are working from home during coronavirus. And I asked the question, does your team know the expectations of them? What had happened was a manager said to me, my team keeps pinging me on Slack every time they use the bathroom. And I was like, that's ridiculous. They're not in middle school. What a waste of your time and what a waste of their time. Right? What a way that is not going to generate revenue in your sales organization. But when I ask the question, does everybody on your team know the expectations that you have of them when they're working from home? He said, no. And I said, follow-up question. This is a really helpful one is if I were to pull your entire team, would they all agree on the answer? And so that is the way that I would start with a manager is, are you super clear? One, your expectations of your team? And then is your team super clear of the expectations on them? And so we talk a lot in the life coach school about this idea of manuals, which is basically having an operating book for the way that we think other people should act. And we normally talk about manuals as a problem that we have all these expectations that we expect other people to meet. And then we hinge our happiness and our emotional wellness on them. But employees and an employee employer relationship is different. And so is a parent kid relationship, 
those are the exceptions to the manual where you are allowed to have a manual for those people because you're paying them. So does that start to answer the question of how I would solve that? Right. So I think then, so step one is to set out really clear expectations. Yeah. Most of my clients, they have those, you know, we have QA text. It's like mm-hmm. written into their job, job description, mm-hmm. um, update, maintain, create specifications for incoming product, work in process product, we call it whip production, mm-hmm. um, and then finished products. Mm-hmm. Right. And they just don't get the work. They just don't get the work done. And they're like, I'm just too, like, I'm way too busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I love these little, these little situations where I say, and I'll say to a client is, so it has to get done. Right. And they say, yes. So is it a top priority? Yes. Where does it fall in terms of priority? And a lot of people say, well, it's, it, it has to happen. It's top priority. And then I always ask the question, well, if that's all true, if it's top priority and it absolutely has to happen, one, is everyone aware of that? And two, what are you willing to let go of in order to make that happen? And most people, most managers will say nothing. There's nothing I'm willing to give on. And so I just had this conversation with a manager where he said, well, my team is risking burnout, but everything on this list has to happen. And I said, at least you need to acknowledge that as a manager, you're risking your entire team burning out. Are you willing to take that risk? And he decided he was, it was worth it to him. Hmm. So I guess to sum that all up, what I would say, and I'm so curious your thoughts on this as well, is really understand your priorities, really understand non-negotiables, and then be willing to acknowledge to yourself and to your team what you're willing to trade off, and it might be their well-being, in order to get it done. Wow. <laughs> that is not, that like, that's not a conversation most industries are willing to have. We are, yeah. I think I've had that well-being conversation, like really have that well-being conversation maybe once. And mm-hmm. it was because, you know, we work in food manufacturing and it can literally be physically dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but there's also this whole sense of like, especially with chefs, like, oh, you know, like, look at the bird I got today, right? Even though it really hurts and, yeah. um, and that sort of bravado kind of thing. But I think that is, I think that question about well-being is a very good one. And are, if you as a manager, if things are not getting done and you're saying everything's a priority, what are you like what is your priority on well-being and you may have like you know fun you know mission vision values but when push comes to shove well-being and uh, of the well-being of the the staff and the workers especially from an emotional well-being standpoint we talk about that a lot on the podcast maybe kind of at the bottom of the barrel physical well-being maybe no but emotional well-being probably not <sighs> And it's crazy. And nobody wants to admit that they're willing to let their team burn out in order to get things done. Nobody wants to say that out loud. But I think once you say that out loud, you either come to the point where you go, wow, that's really not okay. That's really not the manager I want to be. Let me reassess. Or you say, yeah, this is part, you know, this is what we're going to do right now. And I'm at least willing to acknowledge it out loud. So I think one of the recommendations I have for anyone listening who really likes this piece of the conversation, have you ever read the book Essentialism? I have not, but we love book recommendations around here. 
Awesome. I highly recommend it. And one of the things that stuck out to me the most is the idea that when somebody gives you a task, you basically respond by saying, great, I'm happy to take it on. What would you like me to deprioritize? And I will say, full disclosure, I used that like the first week of my last job and I got laughed at and everyone in the office was like, are you serious right now? So it doesn't always work really well, <laughs> but I love the idea behind it. Um, and as a manager, be prepared for your team to ask what should be deprioritized if you're adding in new priorities. Right. No. And I think as small businesses, we do that to our teams all the time, all the time. And actually I'm thinking about it and my, um, uh, my, my marketing director, Pam, um, whenever I put something else on, she's like, okay, these are all the things I have on my plate. You're adding this, which would you like me not to do? And from, and honestly, from a manager perspective, I like it when she says that because it allows me, you know, like what we were talking about at the top of the pot, like when we got on, you asked for two microphones, (laughs) right? And when she's, when she prints it in that stark a picture, I can tell which one is my priority, but when she's not coming back to talk to me, I can't, I like, I don't know. I just get stuff out of my head and I put it on her plate because that's her job. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, so I love that idea that, that what one of the real answers to the question about getting your specifications written, because it is a priority. If you want to pass an audit, you need a specification. Mm-hmm. It comes down to the question of how much is that, how much of that audit, like how much is that really a priority? And is it more of a priority than the well-being of your, of your people? Um, and those are some hard questions for people, for people to think about. But I really, I really love that. I had another interesting conversation with a friend recently. I'd been working, I'd been testing out this concept and I couldn't figure out how to phrase it. And she gave me this perspective that I thought nailed it, which is this idea that we have a hundred percent capacity in our lives. So we have hundred percent capacity in our personal lives, maybe a hundred percent capacity in our professional lives. And that's to some extent mandated by the number of hours we have in the day. But it's also like, if I decide I'm not going to work more than 50 hours per week, period then I'm at 100% capacity once I get to 50. And what I see with my clients is they love to talk about being over 100%. And I always come back to them and I say, talking about being over 100% is the most useless thing that you could possibly do. (laughs) Nothing, and we have a very lovely, loving relationship (laughs) where we joke a lot. I'm like, that thought and harping on that thought is never going to get you the result that you want because by definition, you cannot be over hundred percent capacity. So if you plan your time well, and if you schedule, and if you look at your priorities and then you're still over hundred percent, you got to make some serious decisions. And for a lot of people, they might cut sleep. I'm not willing to do that. <laughs> um, and so then you, then you get to say, okay, I'm at hundred percent period. I think that's a really effective way to look at it as well. And I think that where that comes and, and makes it hard for people and this gets back to feelings is it feels really good to be like, I'm really killing myself to like brag and get the significance of that. I mean, I've definitely been in culture. I mean, I was in vet school for heaven's sakes. It's like, I pulled my fifth all nighter in a row. And it's, I was never that person because as my podcast listeners will know, sleep is the number one priority in my life. Um, (laughs) And, but I definitely had colleagues who were, who were like that. 
And it gets back to those feelings, like we get a feeling of significance or what, I don't know, I never did it, so. <laughs> um, but I think there is something to that, that we feel something good when we get to brag about that sort of thing and that sort of, and creating that sort of culture versus, you know, being in a culture that's actually an integrity where we said, wait, I was only gonna work 50 hours this week. Yeah. And now I'm not showing up to that. So, so then is, then I guess my question for you is, is that disconnect there where the deep work comes in and says, where am I, how am I going to allow myself to get all my work done in that 50 hours and then stop? Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. So the way that, the way that I think of deep work is these focused, uninterrupted blocks of time. I usually recommend an hour at a time, sometimes two hours, depending on the project. And I think to answer your question is if you have a really solid deep work practice, so you're doing at least one hour of deep work per day, then you're more effective during that time you're producing higher quality outputs. So that can mean a lot of different things depending on your job. But I always like to think of the analogy of you're putting in less work, but getting more results, right? Because you're more effective and you're focusing on the higher priority items. So the, it's like the 80-20 rule about you know 20% of your activity generating 80% of your results. So because you're so focused during those deep work blocks, and because you're creating at a whole new level, then you still have to check yourself. You still have to constrain yourself to your maximum. So let's say 50 hours per week, because you could be doing deep work 100 hours per week. So you still have to have the constraint paired with the deep work. But mm -hmm. I think that people find it easier to have constraint and to keep to that threshold of 50 hours or that max of 50 hours because they know that they're using their time so wisely and they know that they're optimizing their time so wisely when they actually are working. So I always say to my clients, when you do deep work, you get to leave the office or you get to leave your home office knowing that you really truly optimize the time that you were working. And now the time that you're not working is a lot more yours. I think that makes a lot of sense because there are so many of us who can just never turn it off. Yeah. They yeah. never, we don't ever let ourselves turn it off. And I think that's a, that is a, a journey that I am on um, and have been on for a while. Um, and, and I think it's a learned and learnable skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I still struggle with that. I love working <laughs> and, and I definitely still, still have to put some constraint and parameters around my work hours. Cause I could, I could work a lot easily. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, I, that's, that's true of all of my clients. You know, my clients love to work. They love to make food. They love to feed their people. They love, I mean, they don't love all of the parts of it, but they love so many parts of the making of the food and the solving of the problems. They could work a lot and they do, they do work a lot. Um, but it does get to be like this point of, 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 a, you know, a limiting marginal return, uh, you know, when our, our brains, just, our brains just get tired. Yeah. Our brains just get tired. So, all right. So I have a question for you. Yes. I have a ton of people who are entrepreneurs, um, who are listening to this. So they are in charge of their own schedule. They have, may have some people working for them. What, like, what are your, um, what advice would you give to somebody, um, 
who is on an entrepreneurship journey about time management and deep work. I have so many suggestions. <laughs> you and I were actually just talking before we started recording, and I think it's worth reiterating that I just had a client that came to me for a consult and about productivity and time management, which is the only thing that I really consult on. And she, she said, I really know all the time management and productivity tips out there. Like, I don't really know that you're going to be able to introduce me to anything new. And so I took it on as a challenge. But what I was telling you is that she walked away from our 30 minute mini session with no new tools, no new software, no new tips, only finally acknowledging to herself that the story that she had told herself about how she couldn't ever close her inbox, she had to stay constantly on with her email, just acknowledging that that wasn't true. And the way that we got to that was that we talked about her email inbox in, in this coaching session. And I said, is it really true that you can't turn off your email notifications? And she said, yeah, 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 it's definitely true. And so I said, is it really true? Like if I said that I want you to just turn off your email notifications for 10 minutes at a time, could you do that? And she said, yeah, I could do 10 minutes. Right. So we've already found an opening, what I call wiggle room. We already found wiggle room. And then I said, okay, well, you tell me what is the maximum that you could go without checking your email and really have it be okay. And she came up with an hour. So she walks in thinking she literally can't turn off her email notifications and she walks out and walk out is virtual. It's all on zoom. <laughs> she leaves the zoom session saying, wait, actually I can do it for an hour at a time. And then in her follow-up email is like, actually, it turns out I can do it more than 60 minutes at a time. So all that to say, we didn't need fancy tips or tools for her time management. The only thing that she needed to do was to acknowledge all of the beliefs that she had told herself were fundamentally true and be willing to question them. So <laughs> to loop that back to your listeners, if anyone is an entrepreneur and time management and productivity is something that you struggle with, which most people do, start writing down all of your thoughts about your time and all of your thoughts about your productivity and all of your thoughts about your procrastination and just be willing to one, I call it debunking your own myths, be willing to debunk your own myths and two, um, really ask yourself if these thoughts are serving you in your business. I think that what I have found, especially with the email um, and the thoughts about the time is I use email to buffer, like hitting refresh and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And of course, buffering, what I usually talk about is doing work instead. Uh, so I'm supposed to be writing copy or writing a report or, you know, like that sort of stuff. And I'm like, no, here, let me constantly refresh email, but it's such a, it's, and it's not just the email. It works on Instagram, on Facebook, on the New York Times, like whatever it is. And I think that there was a lot that comes from a scarcity mentality. Yeah. That we're going to miss out on something. And that's always scarcity mentality. Mm -hmm. And I think a scarcity mentality is like one of the biggest enemies of an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Right. I have, a, I have a really interesting thought about scarcity that is brand new to me. I just started thinking about this. I, I have so many ideas all the time. And I'm always, like, always jotting down ideas. And I realized that unconsciously I was carrying around this belief that I had to act on all my ideas immediately or they would dry up. 
not only would those ideas dry up, but I would never have a new idea again in my life, which is very ridiculous because my Evernote is like thousands of notes deep with ideas, right? And so that acknowledgement, like you said about scarcity, that I'm worried about opportunity fundamentally drying up for me was so interesting. And it gave me a little bit of space to be able to step back and say, oh, okay, that's just a belief that I've developed over the years. It really is not based in anything. It's never proven to be true. And it's causing me problems in my business because I basically have shiny object syndrome and I'm trying to do like 20 different things at once and do them really fast instead of stepping back, planning, and then trusting that opportunities will continue to open up for me. Does that, I don't know, does that- I think that's brilliant. I really, really do. And I'm not just saying that because I think that as entrepreneurs, you know, especially as we read the headlines right now, um, people are seeing, like, they're seeing the death of opportunity and that's Mm -hmm. how they're translating it. Like, this is, this is the death of opportunity, but human existence abounds with stories about opportunity in all sorts of circumstances. Mm-hmm. There are opportunities, and we love the stories about opportunity in the circumstance. Mm-hmm. And coronavirus is just a circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just a circumstance. It's something that's happening to us. I will tell you as a public health professional who works with zoonotic diseases, this is a zoonotic disease. It came to us from the animal population. We've been preparing for this for my entire professional career. And I've been doing this for 20 years. Mm-hmm. This is not news to the veterinarians so, at all, <laughs> especially not the ones who work in the, like, where I, like, in, in, in what I work in. Yeah. And I think that idea that the opportunities, like, all we see is the opportunities are, are going away. And that's just, that is just a thought. Mm-hmm. And we can just address that as a thought and see if that thought is really one that's serving us. Now, maybe it's one we really believe right now, mm-hmm. right? And so we've got to kind of deal with that belief. But I bet you a lot of people listening don't even know, because I didn't know until you said it, mm-hmm. but that's the thought that they're carrying around, that if I don't do something like right now, the opportunities are going to dry up. Yeah. And yeah. That, that is like, that is a time killer. That is a time killer. <laughs> you know, this... I, again, still have not fully developed the framework and procrastination, but I think that this is a really interesting point that I'm working out, which is this idea of these different types of people who procrastinate. And one of the personality types, if you will, that I see end up procrastinating is the people who are so overwhelmed with ideas, (laughs) self-included, you know, ideas and excitement and energy and their fundamental desire is to have a massive impact. Mm-hmm. And their fundamental fear is that they won't have that impact. This hits me so close to home, right? I go, this is me. <laughs> and, and even like I think about during coronavirus, it's like, well, what is your biggest fear with coronavirus? And for a lot of people, the biggest fear that comes up for them is, yes, friends and family and business and the economics of it all. And what if I don't have the opportunity to make the impact in the world that I want to make? And so that type of person takes on so much and overcommits so much and ends up just doing all these things in all these different directions for fear of, of opportunities drying up. And then you end up either 
paralyzed in procrastination or you end up doing everything but not doing it super well and you basically confirm that original belief that there's not enough opportunity out there. I just, it's so fascinating to me and I think this is a really interesting time to be testing that theory. And when you're doing all the things, you are not making the impact Mm -hmm. that you want to be making because you can't. You can't be here and there and everywhere and be truly making an impact on the life, on the life of your community. It's just, that's not how that works. Um, Yeah, absolutely. How that works. Um, So, all right. Well, great. Well, Christina, it has been absolutely wonderful to have you here on the podcast. So I would love it if you would tell all of my people how to get in touch with you if they want to dive deeper or to get your freebie and just think more about how to do 20 minute blocks of deep work to start with, how to think about procrastination, like all that stuff. Yeah. I would love two ways. So people can start by downloading my guide for getting into a deep work state in 15 minutes. And that's peakcoaching.co slash deepworkstate. And that's P-I-Q-U-E. And then the other way to really connect with me is to book a free 30-minute mini session if you want to bring your number one productivity or time management challenge. And again, you walk into a Zoom meeting with that challenge, walk out, understanding that a lot more, walking out with the solution. And that's peakcoaching.co slash mini session. So that would be lovely. I'd love to connect with your listeners. Delightful. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on to the podcast and stay well, be safe. And I just know we're all going to get through this together. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.